welcome to the REI Mastermind Network, where host Jack Haas gathers amazing stories from leaders in real estate investing. In each episode, our guests will tell you what they're doing that works, what they've tried that failed, and best of all, you'll learn actionable steps to take your real estate investing to the next level. Now, here's Jack with another value-packed episode. Mark Willis joins me today. Really appreciate your time, Mark. And I, I got to give you credit. The, the domain name is awesome. Kickstartwithmark.com. And I'll make sure to have that as a clickable link in the show notes. But thanks for being with me here today. Well, thanks, Jack, for having me on. And thanks for all you do, helping shed some light on the real estate space for your audience and for all of us. So we're going to go into annuities and how to do a couple things there. But I wanted to touch briefly, Mark has written written three books. I'm sure you can find those in all the popular places, including maybe links on kickstartwithmark.com. But Mark has specialization in infinite banking, but he also has this bank on yourself concept. And I wanted to touch briefly on that, Mark, and if you could give kind of a brief summary as to the difference there. Yeah, sure. There's, And for those who are just wondering, well, what do annuities have to do with real estate? We'll get there, but I'll give you a clue. It has to do with passive mailbox money. So if you'd like passive income streams and mailbox money, hang tight. We're going to have a lot of fun in our conversation today. You asked a great question, Jack, which is, what is bank on yourself? And I'll give you the short answer. And if you want to go deeper, we can always go deeper. Bank on Yourself uses something other than annuities. So it's a different category in the financial universe. Bank on Yourself uses dividend paying whole life insurance, which is you know kind of a kissing cousin, you might say, to the infinite banking strategy. The reason why there's a difference in name there is for many years, there was really a Wild West kind of scenario here where a lot of people were using that phrase infinite banking to mean whatever they wanted it to mean. And so there was some quality control issues, you might say, and people mm-hmm. in the buying public, general buying public were wondering, well, why did I get a universal life policy when Nelson Nash in his book talking about infinite banking said whole life insurance? Well, why do I have you know, variable life insurance, which is tied to the stock market? What happened here? And many times it was because the insurance agent didn't know or didn't care to share the right way to build these things. So anyway, Pamela Yellen, who trademarked the phrase bank on yourself, came in, put a lot of training, continuing ed, a certification program. It took me three and a half years to really earn my chops in that certification as a bank on yourself professional. And I'm proud to say that's one of the only credential programs out there on this strategy. And so she distinguishes it by talking about it as bank on yourself. It's sort of the USDA organic seal of approval, you might say, in that space. So that doesn't have much to do with annuities, although they are related. So there's actually some ways we can we can jump from bank on yourself type policies to an annuity, for example, and get that passive income that folks are looking for. But in principle, that is the difference between the two, two concepts. You bring up a really good point there because I have run into insurance providers that use that these these uh, terms, and when I ask them a couple of questions, it it seems like they're not a hundred percent sure as to what they're talking about. Are there some questions like maybe give us the top three questions somebody should ask a, a person who who's pushing this this concept just to make sure that we it's a good fit. Yeah, you're right. You know, I'm, I am a certified financial planner as well as a bank on yourself professional. 
And that's actually the one and only question you have to ask, which is, are you a bank on yourself professional or not? That itself will be the delimiter or the litmus test, because if they are not, then you don't know what you're getting. You might get it right. But if you found yourself one of the 200 plus bank on yourself professionals around the United States and Canada, we're obligated to design the policies a specific way. We do ongoing education, masterminds, continuing education. We have to remain in good standing with the organization of Bank on Yourself. So we're held to a high standard, and that's probably the most important. A couple of other smaller ones. Is this whole life insurance? Is it dividend-paying whole life insurance? Is it a policy that allows for paid-up addition riders or just paid-up additions on my dividend? Is there a non-direct recognition loan on my policy? These are all super crucial questions. I know they sound wonkish or arcane, but Jack, one problematic lever that's dialed to the wrong spectrum and you're going to have a nightmare. You know, For example, just the non-direct recognition loans. What is that? Well, that's when you borrow against a life insurance policy and it continues to grow as if you had not touched the money. I've met maybe hundreds of people at this point in my career who thought they had that. They thought they had a infinite banking or call it what you want, legacy wealth planning, or there's so many nicknames out there for this. And then they look into their contract with me and I review it with them. And they have what's called a direct recognition policy loan. This is when the insurance company recognizes that you took the loan and they stop paying you dividends and growth when you borrow against the policy. So if you have a hundred grand in a policy, let's say, and you borrow out $80,000 to go flip a house, the wrong policy, a direct recognition loan, will only pay you on what's left the 20,000 bucks that you did not borrow. But a true bank on yourself designed policy is non-direct recognition, which means you continue to get the compound growth and dividends on the full $100,000 as if you had not touched a dime of the money. Now, to me, that is the deal breaker. If I don't have the right tool, and it's just one little line in your contract, that can be the deal breaker in financial success or mediocrity. Well, I, you know, I hate to change tactics here or, or the conversation, but I think we're going to do so because I want to cover a lot of ground regarding the mailbox money that you were talking about earlier. I think there's a lot of people who are looking at that situation, you know, I'm going to put myself in this, in this category, you're getting a little older, a little thinking retirement hopefully is, is in your future. And you were talking about the power of annuities. And I, this is going to be a very new concept. So we're probably going to dive a little deeper on a couple of these rabbit holes as we pursue this. But Mark, can you kind of give us kind of a summary of like the use case on what we're talking about here? Okay, so I want to take you back to a one of my favorite little parts of the land I live in. I live in Chicago land, about an hour outside of the city. And, you know, I love all the museums we have in downtown Chicago. And there's the big ones, you know, the Museum of Science and Industry, the, the Nature Museum and Shedd Aquarium and all that. But my buddy and I are kind of nerds for ancient Middle Eastern archaeology. <laughs> why, why, why? I don't know why. I'm just, that's my thing. So we How found often a museum. do you think of the Roman Empire. That's right. <laughs> I won't answer that uh, publicly. Let's just say it's it's not uncommon. Uh, so <laughs> all, all roads in my mind lead to Rome. So, okay. So I'm, I'm going to this, it's called the Ancient Oriental Institute. 
And it's a small little museum off the University of Chicago campus. And I'm walking down the hallways of this museum, looking at these clay tablets and mummies and all kinds of cool stuff. And there on the wall, it was about a 20 foot long parchment written in some ancient language. I couldn't tell what. And underneath it was a placard that said annuity contract. And it said Egyptian soldier 325 BC, thereabouts. I was floored. I was like, what is this doing in this museum? What is this annuity? What was it to this soldier? So that kind of began my research. Now, there is some similarity between Bank on Yourself, by the way, and annuities. They are both contracts. They're insurance contracts, particularly. Life insurance, most people know of that as protecting your family from you dying too soon. Annuity contracts are really there to protect you from living too long. And that's a weird thing to say. Living too long, why should I be protected against that? But Jack, let's think about it for a minute. The longer I live, the longer you live, the longer any of us live, the more we are exposed to every other risk out there. The more likely the stock market could crash. The more likely we might have interest rates rise. The more likely inflation takes a hold. Or even just, heck, someone could rob us, right? The longer we're alive, the more risk we assume. And that's a strange thing to say. I know it's strange to say it, but that's the truth. So annuities, in essence, are contractual guarantees from the insurance company to you that absolutely predict and then guarantee a specific income that's guaranteed then for the rest of your life. So in an annuity, if you have a certain dollar amount that you've put into that annuity, you call up the insurance company and say, I'm ready for my income now. And then they begin to pay you an income stream that lasts as long as you or you or your spouse should live. That's the basic essence of all annuities. Now, there's a lot of interesting, intricate details within there. And I think they have a powerful message to to give to many Americans today, which we can get into and get specifics on. But that's in principle what annuities are for and what they're here to accomplish. Well, you know, this concept isn't as widely known as I think it should be. Like, why do you think that is? Yeah, that's a great question. I don't have all the answers to that. I think in some ways, it's sort of like when you buy a red Corvette, let's say, or any car, you notice more of them on the road, don't you? Whatever car mm-hmm. you're driving, you notice more of them after you bought it. It's sort of that familiarity bias, you might say. There are there are millions of people who use annuities. There's a recent, there was actually many of our famous, you know, like uh, Hollywood stars and politicians, they'll use annuities uh, for the main portion of their net worth. Ben Bernanke, former chair of the Federal Reserve, he has two annuities as the bulk of his net worth. He says so, and you can look it up on YouTube. Uh, so, you know, there's there's somebody there who's pretty smart, apparently, who has chosen to put the vast majority of his net worth into guaranteed lifetime income streams. But Jack, I think the reason why more people don't have annuities is because many times they're well, they're not designed correctly, or there's just not a lot of money in selling them to the buying public. There's a lot of myths around annuities as well. I'll give you a few quick ones. Old-fashioned annuities, you would hand over a chunk of money to the insurance company, and they would keep it. You could not get it back. They would sure give you that income, but you could not get your lump sum back if you had an emergency. 
more modern annuities solve that problem. You can still access the lump sum or the corpus of that annuity and use it if you had to for an emergency. Now, there's maybe better places to grab cash than the annuity, but it's definitely not completely locked up anymore. Second, some people were afraid that if you got an annuity, let's say you started, you dumped in a hundred grand and you started getting, I don't know, five grand a year. And let's say you died the next day, old fashioned annuities, the insurance company would keep your money. So that's a great waste of money, right? To lose all that cash. Mm -hmm. More modern annuities now, they have a death benefit just like life insurance. And like I said, there is not a lot of commissions to be made inside annuities. There's a lot of people taking big commissions on what's called assets under management. And so the typical American has their 401k or their IRA tied up in stocks, bonds, mutual funds. Well, I'll give you a quick example here with real numbers, but maybe before I get into all that and give you a real example, Jack, any comments or questions on anything so far? No, this is, this is especially interesting. You know, one thing that strikes me there is that you mentioned the 401ks and the, the Roths and, and the like, there's caps there. But then you said in your, in your example, let's say somebody puts a hundred thousand dollars into this. Is there, is there any caps associated with this? Like you would other investment vehicles? Oh, good question. Well, I should mention straight away. A lot of folks don't realize that you can have annuities inside IRAs. And, and by the way, a lot of our clients do this. So many people come to me with market-based IRAs or 401ks, and they are languishing in the markets or getting beat up by these kind of turbulent market times we're in. And folks are like, well, I don't know why I still have this IRA. It's tied to the market, but what other, what other options do I have? And I remind them that IRAs really can hold anything. You can put stocks and bonds in there, sure. But you can also have you know, real estate, as your listeners probably know. Gold can go into IRAs. Anything, really almost anything can go into an IRA, including annuities. So when folks realize this, it's, it's a simple transfer or a rollover from your 401k to an IRA that holds an annuity. And you brought up the question about caps. If you have a IRA holding an annuity, your IRA will still be bound by the regular IRA rules. Okay, so in your example, the the limit of putting money into an IRA each year would be the same whether you have a stocks and bonds IRA or an annuity IRA. So the same contribution limit applies because you're followed you're following the IRA rules. Is that anything there not make sense or questions on nope, that? No, that makes that's exactly what I I thought. Okay. Now, you can also have what's called non-qualified annuities and I don't want to get too wonkish here, but basically that's just like you dumping cash into an annuity. And that is unconstrained by the rules of the government. So you could dump in a million bucks into a non-qualified IRA every year if you wanted to. And if you had that contract and allowed for it, you could put in a hundred bucks a month. You know, it's really up to you. I've got clients doing pretty close to both of those numbers into annuities and they're able to dump in money at their pace because it's what it's a non-qualified annuity. So we're, you're, you're paying into the annuity. Let's, let's use your example as that hundred thousand. Let's say you started off with a hundred thousand. You have to retire the next day something happens and and you have to start drawing how does how does that work do you have is the whole hundred thousand there is it 
are you starting to draw from from the actual principal amount? Is it earning interest? How does this vehicle work? Yeah, so I'll try to break this down. I know we're on a podcast, so it's sometimes difficult to paint visuals. So I'll do my best. There are, broadly speaking, there are two categories of annuities. There are at risk and guaranteed. So the at risk annuities are called variable annuities. And for the purposes of this conversation, I'm going to set those aside because honestly, they keep you in the stock market. They use sub accounts that essentially increase the fees on your investing more than I feel comfortable as a fiduciary recommending. So let's set aside variable annuities. The other category is guaranteed annuities. And those might be what's called fixed annuities or fixed index annuities. Okay. So those are the two that we'll talk about for a minute. In that category, there's a decision to make. Do I want my income now or later? So if I want my income like right now, like I'm going to dump in a hundred grand, roll over from a 401k, let's say, or something. And I want to turn on that income 30 days from now. I'm ready to start my retirement lifestyle. I want this annuity to supplement my other retirement income streams. Then 30 days later, you'll start getting a paycheck. And that'll last as long as you live if you want that design. Or you can do a deferred income annuity. Deferred means push off until later. And most people before retirement just do a rollover and let that money stay in the annuity and they defer the income. While it's waiting, the money in that annuity will grow and it might grow at a declared guaranteed rate or it might be tied to a market index. For example, the S&P 500. We have a lot of clients who will watch that market index as it goes up and they might get a portion of that market index upside. For example, if the market index like the S&P 500 went up 10%, well, you know, your money might go up by 6%. And so folks listening might be like, well, I would rather have 10%, Mark. Why would I only take 6% if the market itself did 10? I feel like I'm getting a ripoff here. Well, let's say, let's follow that story forward. Okay, so now the market went up 10. I only got 6% in my first year. Now the market in year two decides to drop 30%. It has, it could happen again. My indexed annuity is protected at zero. There is no loss when the market corrects or or crashes. There's simply a protection of 0%. You don't go below zero. There's never a negative year due to a market correction. So that right there is what can happen while we're waiting to turn on the income. Now, when we're ready to turn on the income, it'll really depend on how old you are. That, That plays a factor. How old you are, it's sort of like Social Security. The longer you wait, the bigger a piece of that annuity you can take as income. Again, that you can choose to either make that single life, meaning just on your life, or tied to you and your spouse, if you would like that, or anybody else besides your spouse, too. And just to remind everybody, if you're interested in what Mark is talking about, it's kickstartwithmark.com. And if you found some value in what we're talking about so far, share it with one of your investor friends. So, Mark, you know, this this sounds really complicated. And I'm going to guess that if you go to your website, some visual aids might be there to help with some of this. But That's right. And I'll just mention, you know, too, all things are complicated until you learn them. Anyone listening to this knows how many vocabulary words they had to learn as they were getting into real estate investing, right? I assume that it's pretty complicated to flip a house until you've done it a couple of times, right? And so ultimately, at the end of the day, when you educate yourself, it does not mean you have to learn all this vocabulary 
All you have to know is what do I want my money doing for me? And do I know someone who knows some options that would fit that criteria? And I feel like that's what you do so well on your podcast when it comes to real estate investing. And I humbly say I can do pretty well with other contracts with our wealth, whether it's bank on yourself or annuities. It's all just about knowing who you know and knowing what you want your money to do for you. Well, you know, we're kind of painting this as kind of a rosy situation here that this is this is an avenue. Can you kind of cover a few of the gotchas? What what yeah. could be issues around this strategy? I'm glad you asked. Yeah, there's nothing in the world that's free lunch except the cheese on the wrong end of a mousetrap, Jack. So I'm glad you asked. <laughs> there's plenty of gotchas out there in real estate. We all know that. Certainly the stock market has a few gotchas. So what about annuities? What's the downside? What's the catch? Annuities are income machines. That's what they're about. They are engineered solely and and directly toward generating the highest, not rate of return, but rate of income. So if folks are looking for double digit rates of return, they're going to be bored to tears with indexed annuity, fixed index annuities, or even guaranteed rate or, or fixed annuities that provide, you know, a steady middle single digit return. You know, we're not talking about hitting the cover off the ball with these annuities. They're not about rate of return. They're about rate of income. And by the way, I would much prefer a higher rate of income. So rates of return are fine, but I can't spend a rate of return at the grocery store. I can only spend money at the grocery store. Mm -hmm. And annuities are there to produce the most efficient income possible for your dollar. So if you've got a finite amount of money and you have to choose between, and and we can get to a story later if you want to, just remind me. But if you got a choice between put X dollars into, you know, investment number X or X, the same money into an annuity, you're going to typically see a higher rate of income from the annuity because that's what it's designed for. Other gotchas, annuities are not, they are liquid, but there are some penalties if you grab the money too soon, like in the first, usually five to 10 years, there's something known as a surrender charge. If you try to withdraw money, not take income, but if you were to withdraw money out of that corpus, out of the lump sum of that poly- of that annuity, there's often a surrender charge. And that could be as high as 10% or decreasing down to 1%, down to zero after five, 10 years. But you want to really see this annuity as an income play, not as a you know cookie jar, grab the cash for an emergency. Typically, we set up annuities in conjunction with bank on yourself type policies because the bank on yourself policy is very liquid. You can get access to that money in a couple of days. Certainly we want to make sure our clients also have savings accounts and other things that are liquid for emergencies. Okay. So that's another gotcha. The fees are almost non-existent. We can almost, we can almost always find annuities that have no fees on them. That allows you to keep a lot more of your money and allows you to use it for retirement. So the fees aren't really an issue on annuities. It really comes down to, are you comfortable with slow and steady rates of return? And are you comfortable letting this be your last option for liquid access? It's still liquid, but I wouldn't come to the annuity first, if that makes sense. Yeah, that does make sense. So you you mentioned earlier too, that this could be a situation for married couples. How does that part of that work where let's say I pass and this annuity is still sitting there. Is that assumed by by the spouse or how does that play out? Well, if you choose to have that happen, absolutely. You're the owner of this insurance or annuity contract. 
So you get to set the parameters here. If you're married and you would like to, you can set up the income to be joint lifetime income. By the way, like I said, it does not have to be your spouse. I know some grandparents who bought an annuity with their grandchild, for example. And so even after grandma, grandpa passes away, the income will last as long as their grandchild will live. Can you imagine that? So every month, little grandkiddo is getting a stipend from grandma and grandpa, and they're using that for whatever they want, college, down payment, lifestyle, whatever is needed there. But back to spouses. Yes, generally speaking, it's comforting for the spouse after the death of the deceased spouse to have the surviving husband or wife get that income. They're still getting that paycheck. My, my wife jokingly says she wants a pay raise if I go before her. So I want to make sure she's got plenty of income roll into her in her mailbox for as long as she lives as well. Backing up just a hair, you mentioned you could share a story. Could you do this? do so now? Yeah, sure. So again, annuities are income machines, and that's really what they're good at. There are a few other places you can get money in retirement. You know, the common one is the 401k tied to the stock market. The best research, according to Wade Fow and David Blanchett, of, there's a Morningstar report that they put out a few years ago that states that the very best research says that you really should not take much out of that 401k if you expect it to last as long as you live. Now, Jack, I'm going to give you a pop quiz, man. And don't worry if you get it way wrong. Almost everybody does. If you had a million dollars in your 401k, first of all, congratulations. You're a 401k millionaire, right? How much is the safe amount of money to take out of that 401k in retirement such that you won't run out of money before you pass away? What is the safe amount? What would you guess? I would imagine it's pretty low. It's probably going to just be a few thousand a month. Yeah, yeah. Most people would say, Mark, well, I've heard of something called the 4% rule. So I'm going to say, Mark, I've got a million bucks. Let me pull out 40,000 bucks. And that would have been maybe okay back in the 90s. But now these days, we've had so many turbulent years in the market and so many years of suppressed interest rates that now the best advice is closer to 3%. So that's on a million bucks. That means no more than about 30 grand a year or about 2,500 bucks a month on a million dollars. And oh, by the way, that's a taxable dollar amount. So now we're talking less than maybe two grand a month after taxes. Yuck. Talk about inefficiency. So we can also talk about cap rates on real estate. Real estate has become very difficult to really get juicy, you know, rates of income. Again, rate of return is a different conversation, but the stream of income off of my real estate portfolio has been squeezed over the last few years as well. So what can we look toward? Annuities. Interestingly, lady, this is just one out of several dozen stories we could share, but a recently a lady who had really become something of a real estate maven in the, uh, in the area here where I live. Uh, she had collected about a dozen different properties and she had amassed quite a bit of equity from these properties and they were producing some real estate income for her, but she was just tired of being the landlord. She hated the trash, the termites, the taxes, the toilets, and the tenants. Okay. So she said to herself and and talked to me about this, what can I do besides real estate that would produce this income? Because I cannot lose these properties. I'm scared that the equity might vaporize if the market crashes again, like it did in 2008, but I can't lose this income, Mark. What can I do? So we took some of her real estate holdings. She sold those properties and she took the equity of that real estate money and rolled it into an annuity, a non-qualified annuity. It instantly turned on income. It gave her a pay raise 
against what she was making off the real estate. So now what happened? She moved from volatile real estate, which can go down. We have to admit that and move that money into a annuity, which produces a stream of income that's guaranteed for the rest of both her and her husband's life. She was thrilled. She was thrilled. And she doesn't have to worry about knocking on the door to collect rent anymore. She can enjoy the life she wants to live and the place she wants to live. So that's just one of you know several dozen examples we could talk about. But it's one more example of how annuities can be a complement. I'm not saying get rid of all your real estate and go buy an annuity. I love real estate. I own it myself. There's some great tax advantages. But we can couple or even divest of some real estate moving closer to retirement that helps you ensure that that income won't stop even if your income you know, from your day job does. Well, maybe you'll come back again sometime. Since you're a financial planner, I'd love to get your perspective on how to protect some of those capital gains when it comes yeah. to a real estate sale. But I guess that would probably be an, an, an entire topic all in itself. Again, it is kickstartwithmark.com. But Mark, you know, I we're having such a great conversation. I hate to do this to you, but we are going to be changing over to the rapid fire questions. Let's do it. What is a lie real estate investors tell themselves and others? Quick answer. First answer that comes to mind is that real estate always goes up and I'll always find a way when it, when it doesn't. That is not often the case. So please be aware that real estate is not guaranteed to go up and it doesn't owe you any favors. What book would you recommend or what are you reading right now? So many great books out there in the middle of just finishing a book called Come Up for Air. It's a great book on business management and productivity. So I'll recommend that. I, I believe uh, Nick Nick something, Sonnenberg, I believe is his last name. Come Up for Air is the name of the book. I'll also briefly mention Pamela Yellen's book, Rescue Your Retirement, Rescue Your Retirement, which dives deeper into how bank on yourself and annuities can work together. Again, that's Pamela Yellen's book, Rescue Your Retirement. What is one tool you can't live without, whether it's in your personal life or business? Okay, great. And one follow-up on that book. If folks want that book for free, go to kickstartwithmark.com and mention that in the comments and let me know that you heard about this from Jack's podcast. And I'll get you that a copy of that book, no charge in the United States. As far as one tool I can't live without, Jack, man, this microphone, come on. <laughs> I've been so thankful to meet you and to meet so many people on the interwebs. And we're living in the future that we can do this sort of thing. So it's one tool that I guess we can't live without. I'm, I'm hoping that uh, we continue the, the conversation and the relationship for years to come. If you could go back in time and give your younger self one piece of advice, what would it be? Oh, just don't be afraid to go big. You know, if you are certain of something, all chips got to go in. You know, don't dip your toe in. I feel like I did that a couple of times and I'm kicking myself for it now, but it's okay. You know, you get to choose your regrets in life and I'm, I'm okay with that. But if I could go back, I'd say, go big. If you believe it, go big. I need, oh, Jack, it, I'm sorry, man, but it broke up on us there. I didn't hear that question. Oh, okay. I'd like you to give everybody a tip or trick that they can implement in their business today to have a direct impact. What would it be? Oh, well, okay. At the end of your, today, like literally today. Okay, so next time you're at the end of the day, before you close up shop or leave the office or go to bed at night, just write down one substantial win, W-I-N, some, something good that happened that you can call a win at the end of your day. Do that for seven days. Look at it at the end of the week. 
you will be so happy with what's happened. You know, it's easy to get caught up in the doldrums of life, but if you can write down seven in a row, could be small, could be big. Hey, I brushed my teeth twice today. What a what a win that was, right? <laughs> Whatever you have to do, hopefully it's something better than that. Whatever you have to do to get that win in, you'll be happy you did at the end of the week. Well, Mark, is there a concept or question you wished we would have covered here today? Oh, well, one one thing concept, I suppose, is interestingly, and I'll keep this as brief as I can, bank on yourself policies have a feature on them. And this is true with any whole life policy. You can 1035 exchange from one whole life insurance policy into an annuity. Now, folks listening might recognize 1031 exchanges, and that's similar to a 1035 exchange. But in this case, instead of real estate transfers, we're dealing with insurance contracts. And yes, you can go from a whole life policy into an annuity or any kind of life insurance policy with cash value, universal life or variable. Any kind of cash value life insurance can be 1035 exchanged for an annuity. And so many of my clients are in their working years. And so right now they're using their whole life insurance policies for their real estate deals or you know, their kids' college or whatever else is needed right now with the full intention to do what's called a 1035 exchange with, let's say, two or three of those whole life policies that they have, transforming them into an annuity someday in retirement. So at the time of retirement, they just send in a sheet of paper or two and that transfer is completed and they now have a brand new generating income stream from those couple of annuities they bought. What a cool feature, right? So long story, we could make that episode all on its own, I'm sure. But Jack, that's one concept folks need to know is possible. Well, Mark, this was a great conversation. One last time, kickstartwithmark.com. Hope you'll come back again soon. Thank you. Have you learned at least one actionable step to incorporate into your real estate investing? If so, please consider returning some of that value by leaving a positive review, subscribing to our YouTube channel, or joining our growing network on Facebook and Twitter. You can find links to all of our social media accounts in the show notes. See you next time.